Oh, I did a wedding one time on a little covered bridge at a golf course in a little flowing stream. And, and then the groom took this nice, big, fat diamond ring and he bobbled it and it fell into the stream. <laughs> oh, no. um, Are you serious? Yeah. And usually, you know, drop the ring. Say, hey, if you drop the ring, just go. We're yeah, going yeah. to walk through it. And we'll get it after yeah. the service. No, it's a flowing it's, stream. And yeah. all the women. They're all diving <laughs> they're all in. Just, going in. They all become. <laughs> it was like Lord of the Rings with like the hobbits going down through the lake. Hi, Steve. This is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, when we started this podcast, this is a pod have mercy. We started this in February of 2020 mm-hmm. and it was designed to be conversations around spirituality and faith kind of outside the walls of the church mm-hmm. that make a different and intersect into the lives of ordinary kind of people. Um, and this is going to be a fascinating conversation yeah. because today we've got Russell Levinson. And we're in an ordinary place. We're in an ordinary John. place. We're going to talk about why <laughs> we're here. This is our ordinary place. <laughs> this is our ordinary place. And it, uh, Russ, when he came in, he didn't really, he said, I, I didn't realize I had to dress up. But I mean, <laughs> he's the rector here of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. Been here since 2007. Right. And this is the church that George H.W. and Barbara Bush have attended, I think, since they moved to Houston in 1960. Just about. Yeah. Yeah. This was their church. Over and 50 years. Yeah. Wow. And so when we think about the world and faith and impact and spirituality, Russ has a brand new book coming out. Uh, it's going to come out on November the 15th and be released. And I happen to have it. Bum, bum, bum. Close up, Jeff. <laughs> it's called Witness to Dignity. And it's about the life and the faith of George H.W. and Barbara Bush. Russ um, I was in their pastor, especially in the latter years of their life. Mm-hmm. You participated in and helped lead part of George H.W. Bush's funeral, gave the homily, mm-hmm. and also did Barbara Bush's mm-hmm. funeral. And, I, you know, this book um, is still the pre-order right now as, as yes, we're taping this. It is on, and on Amazon and many other. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's out there. But, Russ, I thought it would I'll be. I'll you with the QR code. <laughs> we'll, we'll have the QR and we'll have the links in the, the, the show notes at the great, bottom great. of that. But I, I thought it would be great to have a conversation around this because you and I had lunch a while back and we were talking about their faith and how it intersected in the world they lived in in politics mm-hmm. and how it, it's intersected in all of their lives. But man, I thought in the world that we live in now mm-hmm. with the toxicity mm-hmm. around politics and culture, this thing I think is really gonna be an important resource mm-hmm. for us. Tell us about how you just started on this project of Witness to Dignity. Well, obviously I appreciate the invitation. I always talk about the, the churches in this area um, where you and I are both fortunate to serve in this area and I kind of, kind of the, the Woodway Corridor, yeah. if you will, out to Memorial. And, uh, and I think we're all kind of part of the same family between mm. what you all do, Memorial mm. Drive Presbyterian, <clears throat> what Ed Young does up the street at Second Baptist and what we do here. And I kind of feel like we're connected in a lot of ways. So it's fun to sit down and do this with you here. Um, you know, I, I really, um, and I'm give away some of the things there in the book, but I, I, early on, I did not know if, uh, the president and Barbara would be, uh, you know, we'd see them Christmas and Easter. You right. know, when I first moved here, they, is that those kind of church people or yeah. would I see them a lot? And so, um, and what I found quickly is that they were here every week. If they weren't traveling, they weren't ill, they were in church and they were not just in church. They were active in special events and things like that. But the reason I say that is people, about six months in, after I had a, already a pile of stories, people would say, well, are you writing these down? And I'd say, no, I really am not. You know, I'm not sure what that, this relationship will look like. 
But after 11 and a half years, in particular the last couple of years of their lives, there were so many moments that were tender and precious and important. And uh, I've, I've kind of thought through, you know, to be in the University of Georgia and Barbara Bush yeah. is an important learning uh, lecture hall. And, yeah. uh, and just by, and again, I, I chose that title on purpose, just by witnessing their faith um, lived out in a, in a particular, real, authentic way, um, that was moving and humbling. And um, and you're right. I think part of the reason was uh, the environment we live in now. Um, uh, I, I'm a little older than you, so I remember the years that he served in office, and I remember the culture of politics being different then. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, but... Um, but it really is not a book about that. It is a book about the way in which they lived out their faith. Mm-hmm. And really, we're four years after their deaths and their funerals, almost. When we get to December, it'll be four years since his. And um, and really, as I was putting together notes and letters and things like that over the last year, I just thought, I just, what do you do with it? You don't yeah. throw them away. <laughs> you, don't, mm-hmm. you, don't, mm-hmm. you don't put them in a binder and keep them in the <clears throat> church office. So I really wanted other people to know the story. So mm, that's and great. with the support of the family and and in particular, uh, Jeb, who really, you know, he was the mm. one who finally said, well, just just write it, you know, and yeah. uh, and they've all read it and, you know, gave me the go ahead. So, yeah, I, the, one of the things that I find interesting and you sent me a, a promo, this book has and I think it's it says a lot about president bush and uh, george hw bush and barbara's lives mm-hmm. and who they were but when you read on sort of the, the promo sheet for the book uh, witness to dignity i'm going to say it i'm going to be really good i'm going to say it when you, <laughs> witness to dignity witness to dignity i told russ to hold it like this witness to <laughs> we'll talk about the astros but he'll be holding the book um but what i found interesting on that sheet is all of these really significant diverse voices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm who were speaking in support of this book. I mean, I, I was thinking about, mm-hmm. I mean, you had, there was a whole list, but I mean, you've got uh, Joe Scarborough from Morning Joe, you've got Neil Cavuto from Fox News, you've mm-hmm. got people that served under Bill Clinton, you've got people that served with Bush. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got all these different voices and all of these folks are like, this is, this is pretty special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, something about his life and his faith. And I think a lot of may, people may know or may not, I mean, he had a significant experience when he was a pilot in, right. in World War II. He mm-hmm. was his plane crashed with his right. navigator into the ocean, and I think he talked about that a lot as being a, a very pivotal moment in his spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he he was a very faithful man yeah. and a kind man, mm-hmm. which is one of the things I always. She was spunky. She was yeah she was, but I would say they both got um, they aged well. In their faith, I mean, um, I mean, again, we're living in a time when uh, people seem to have to be beholding to something they said thirty or forty years ago. I mean, some somebody will say, "Russ, you don't remember when George Bush did X, Y, Z?" You know, yeah, forty years ago, um, thirty years ago, and I, I know a lot of what he did, and I, I don't portray them as perfect, uh, but yeah. I portray them as people who, who as we believe grew in their faith and they, they became more perfect. They weren't perfect, but, uh, by the end, I mean, particularly in this environment, in which we are, you couldn't, that you, they just never spoke negatively about anybody and, um, uh, on either side of the party or whatever, they just were very sweet and, and, um, 
uh, and and you saw that as a real part of who they were. When he taught, I, I, I do say, I do think that experience as a young pilot really impacted him because mm-hmm. he jumped out of that plane with two others. The other two um, were ended ended up dying in that plane crash, missing mm-hmm. in action. And when he was pulled from the water, and and I, I kind of go back to this, and it's a story he would tell till right before his death. He would he would say, I, I used to say, why did God save me? You know, what what yeah. what was the purpose behind this? He was only 19 at the time, That's and amazing. so you know you know a lot of 19 year olds would just say, well, I'm glad I got out of the water and what you know, and he spent a little bit longer on this um, submarine that um, rescued him from the Pacific. I think it was called the Finback. And he said, and, the, and they were on other rescue missions then. So they were out in the Pacific while he was on that boat. And as they, you know, he, he kind of rumbled through that a lot. Why, why did mm. God save me? Not mm. why was I saved, but why did God save me? What mm. was the purpose behind that? And there are these poignant moments in his life and his journey that I just kind of pluck out and say, this says a lot about him. So at the end of the war, at the end of World War II, VE Day, when everybody's celebrating and he and Barbara knew he basically knew he married. He didn't know if he was going to be called back to action because, you know, that just mm-hmm. kind of happened faster than most people thought it would. But he said, yeah, we were all celebrating. But then we, um, uh, but Barbara and I sought uh, out and found a little church to go pray in mm-hmm. on that day just to thank God that that the war was over and to pray for <laughs> those who gave their I mean, so, but I'm sure they went on with their celebration. But it was important for them to find a church by wow. themselves that day and go in and pray together. Yeah. Uh, and there, the, you know, the, the day after he was elected president, he, or, or the election was coming up to his uh, presidency and he contacted my predecessor, Claude Payne, second rector here and said, uh, Claude, you know, I, I think our chances are pretty good. The polls, polls were looking really good, but he said, he did say, um, and Claude was at a women's luncheon here and he, he, he called and said, I would really like to have a service in the church the day after the election, win or lose. He said, so if I, if I win, I want it to be a, you know, a Thanksgiving service. If I lose, I want it to be a Thanksgiving service. Mm-hmm. We're going to come together and pray as a nation, pray for our nation, pray for the new president, whoever that's going to be. Wow. Can you imagine? And particularly Today? this time, yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be wonderful. It, it does. It does. You know. Yeah. And, and of course time. he, it was a slam dunk, but but it 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 was first in his mind to do that. when he was elected president. The, you know, at the beginning of his right after he was inaugurated, he, he said the first thing I want to do as as president is pray. So if you go back to his inaugural speech, it's my first act is to pray, and he <laughs> offers this beautiful prayer, and that's so that consistent theme throughout his life. I mean, we all know politics is blood sport. I mean. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. not a world you and I would. Well, and he was a politician. And there's no politician. In, yeah, no was, politics in the church. Thank God. No, no, not at all. <laughs> we, we might talk <laughs> about God. that on a on another. Thank God, that never. It's never <laughs> happened. Yeah, another episode where I'll do my grief. You can do grief counseling on yeah. the United Methodist yeah, or Church. Trauma <laughs> counseling. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know he was a politician. Yeah. And I think if you go back and study, man, I love history, and you read, like you said, there were things that he did that some people would not agree with, or right, that wouldn't right. be wouldn't align with their politics or maybe they didn't like the decisions he made. But the, what, I, what I'm struck by with, with you writing this and really at the end of their lives, how the faith is lifted up. Mm-hmm. And I, I came across a, a, a story or an article uh, that I thought was interesting. 
And it was a guy who had written something about uh, President uh, George H.W. Bush and his faith and how you could see it evolve as he was Mm -hmm. going through politics and everything else. And in 1988, there was a debate um, in October between him and Michael Dukakis at Mm. the time. And uh, they were one of the questions was about abortion. Mm. That's big in the news now, too. And you see now how people talk about very difficult uh, conflicts and it's mm-hmm. like we scream at each other we fight at each other and mm-hmm. so adversary mm-hmm. there's no sense of dialogue but the quote was when they asked him about it he said i think human life is very precious and, and dukakis had already talked about he was pro-choice mm-hmm. and and he said and look this hasn't been an easy decision for me to meet, I know other disagree with it, but when I was in this little church across the river from Washington and saw our grandchild christened in the faith, I was very pleased indeed that the mother had not aborted the child or put the child up for adoption. And then he says, and so I just feel this is where I'm coming from and it's personal to me. Now, I don't assail Mr. Dukakis on this issue and I don't assail others on this issue, but this is the way I, George Bush, feel about it. And I'm thinking, man, mm-hmm. can you imagine now a debate between presidential candidates? Mm-hmm. Where you say, where, I do not assail where, my opponent. Well, they wouldn't use that <laughs> word. No, that word. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But I just think about how what he did was he made it uh, he made it a very personal thing about his faith and about the sure. way he viewed the world and he owned it as his yeah. but he looked at the, the guy across from him that he was running against who had a different position didn't attack him at all as a matter of fact says I don't fault you that's your belief but this is mine mm-hmm. and a I think about the way faith shaped him because one of the things I preach mm-hmm. a lot a lot I'm sure you do mm-hmm. is how we're supposed to love one another right and be kind to one another and be gentle with one another and have patience with one another. And it always seemed like he had a a temperament or something that was the Mm. the faith and the temperament and the personality and the politician. I would imagine he wrestled a lot, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, with things. I think he did. And, you know, this is in part the Episcopal way. I mean, a lot of our theology is we we, we wrestle through Mm -hmm. our um, issues around morality and theology, and we try to. We have, we're often called a very big tent. I think the Methodist Church is a very big tent, and that can be frustrating to some people. It, uh, you know, it's a comfortable tent for me to live in and work in and serve in, and I think that's why they stayed in the Episcopal Church. And mm-hmm. uh, I, George and Barbara stayed in the Episcopal Church. I think they felt as though genuine, authentic love and service was key to being a faithful Christian. And so, you know, and that would, that would supersede any differences on politics they would have. So, you know, look at this incredible friendship he had with Bill Clinton, which is, you know, mystified lots of people. And, uh, you know, but then, but it was, it was, but the reason for it was often to go serve, you know, we're going to go attack, you know, the issue after the tsunami and in the Pacific, you know, we're going to work together politics aside to do something mm. good for the world, mm. which they did. Yeah. And they got together on the Ike and Gustav, you know, recovery effort, you know, yeah, and all those that. kinds of things. Yeah. So it's funny to see how, you know, a lot of people kind of raise their eyes. How, how does that work? I think mm. it works because mm. he was a very genuine, caring man. And how they interacted with one another, you know, no matter where you, where you were on the political spectrum, I mean, you could tell they liked each other. Yeah, they really did. Yeah, you know? yeah. And there's got to be, now, nowadays, it's hard to find that. Yeah, um, that's But right. I, think, I, I think a lot about, you know, Apostle Paul talks about the characteristics or the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we're not 
turning him into right. Mr. Perfect right. of all right. things. Right. But yeah. I think that's a part of the struggle is, yeah, we disagree. Yeah, we struggle with things. But how, how do we witness uh, in our life? Tell us, uh, um, what was the most interesting thing that you may have learned or uncovered? Or what was something that, as you were writing this or re- going through the stories, that kind of surprised you or shocked you or um, you learned or, mm-hmm. or you know, just anything? I don't think there was anything that shocked me because I, I think the last, particularly the last few years, um, we just spent a lot of time together. And so they, it's not pretentious, nor is it, uh, I mean, it, it, to say we got to know them very well and we considered them friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly in the last year, there were times when we were at the house more than once a week. And uh, they had a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. They had a real tenderness in the way in which they dealt with each other they loved each other they held hands you know, I would come over the house and if they had slipped into a nap you'd find them asleep holding hands I mean they mm. you know um, <laughs> they um, that's great he when you when you reference his his demeanor and we got to know all the children all the yeah. children and uh, some better than others and um, and they would say dad never got he was never the one that got mad at he was never the angry one <laughs> and then they called Barbara the enforcer I said mom mom took care of that but dad would just kind of smile you know we do something dad would just kind of smile and you know raise his eyebrows um, and the way in which he I think uh, both of them cared equally for people they encountered so you know we were fortunate to vacation with them Kenny Buttport they invited us invited mm-hmm. our kids up many times and but you would see them interact with everybody if you're out on the boat he'd mm-hmm. slow down to talk to the lobster fishermen it, it, you know people joke around the fact that barbara's over here at walgreens on you know in tanglewood pushing a cart and pulling down her medicine and asking people have you tried this you know <laughs> and, and, uh, one of their favorite restaurants was uh Yow. Well, on the end oh, of yeah. Westheimer. Yeah. yeah, it's not. And I you think would, it's closed now. Oh, is it? No, I, think, no, I checked the other day because I, oh, I was curious because oh, I wanted okay. to reference it. I had book, heard but, that it might. But we went there several times with them, and they never made a big deal about coming in. They just came in and sat in the middle of the room. I mean, Secret Service was always around. and sure. But if people came up, you know, uh, thank God it was, you know, I think they kind of lived before the age of selfie-ism. <laughs> you know, people, <laughs> yeah. people would come up yeah. and hold up their phones, but oh, people were always really sweet to them. And uh, so I, I think that what, if anything surprised me with just the consistent uh, personality with mm-hmm. with everybody, you mm-hmm. never saw them be rude or dismissive mm-hmm. or kind, you know. And um, you know, and I, that was something to behold. I mean, it mm-hmm. makes me want to be a better person, better yeah. Christian. To be whenever you're around somebody that's mm-hmm. kind of living into the faith, you kind of go, hmm, mm-hmm. I need to up my game. Yeah. And there were plenty of times I felt that way. Um, I, I was able to be around him a couple of times, not a lot, her more than, than him. And she was, uh, she, she had a lot of personality. She really did. Yeah. yeah. And um, mm. did, did you ever get to spend any time with them? No, I, I, I never met them. I met their son, but not, mm. not mm-hmm. them. Yeah. You know, that's another thing I think, too, is um, in reading about him, his, his parents were also very faithful. Yeah. And his yeah. mother uh, was a very faithful and and very devout Episcopalian. Right. It would read from the Book of Book Common of Prayer, yeah. yep. from what I read. So yep. I think it saturates him. Mm-hmm. And so then when you see the character and the quality of their children, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, you can agree or disagree on politics right. and whether you would vote for him or not. But when I watched how Jeb Bush went through 
the process mm -hmm. of uh, running for president or when I saw you mm -hmm. saw George W. Bush and, and even now post-presidency mm -hmm. um, yeah. got to know Neil a little bit but mm -hmm. I mean it's interesting to see the DNA of faith mm -hmm. uh, was modeled for them mm -hmm. in a sincere way mm -hmm. and you can see it in them now, I don't know the grandchildren mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. but that, that that generational faith uh, right. passing I think is uh, is really important mm -hmm. When you were preparing for these funerals, um, what is what is that like as far as mm. preparing a homily mm -hmm. for the service of a former president of the United States? Well, this, the service was a massive planning process, and <clears throat> there's a chapter on that because we knew his service would be a, at least a seven-day journey. And so for over 10 years, 11 years, we would have regular meetings here, here at St. Martin's, uh, sometimes another location. Uh, and it would, you know, it would be a meeting of 10 people up to a meeting of 100 people. And there was really? Secret Service, HPD, yeah. uh, uh, people oh. from the city, but, you know, all that press and all that kind of stuff that we had to kind of put together. We did not know, of course, she was going to die before he did. Mm. And so I hate to put it this way, but we, we said it a lot. Her funeral was kind of a run through yeah. uh, for all the security. You know, because most of the heads of state actually came to her funeral because it was this was the only service. Um, so we had that kind of run through with her uh, by the time we did his service. And I planned the one for D.C. and the one here um, with the family and with other clergy. And... Um, the one in D.C. was, of course, in partnership with the National Cathedral. But they were wonderful. They really, when I came to them and I said, here's the service we want, that great, we'll just make it happen. There was no pushback or challenges or we don't do it that way. And they knew it was a historic. Well, they knew you were Episcopalian. Y'all don't really color outside the lines <laughs> well, a lot. a little bit. But sometimes. <laughs> uh, and then, and, but, the, but then when we got back here for this service, it was, it was, it was like old home week. I mean, really... I, I remember walking in through these doors yeah. after with my wife after um, we landed on with uh, in Air Force One and we got back to the church and I knew while we were gone everything would be taken care of and we walked in these doors and I thought, okay, we're back home and mm -hmm. and th so this that last service was really at home mm -hmm. you know you felt yeah. like we were home, but the homilies were a challenge because he got real sick in 2012 and and several of us were tasked with you it's time to get ready mm. and so. I wrote a homily that was way too long, and I, this is fact, this lands right in the middle of the book, and so I sent it to Jim, Secretary Jim Baker, who's a member of the church, mm -hmm. and I also got kind of schooled by him <laughs> in a loving way. Uh, Let me help but, you but, edit but, this. Yeah, he, well, he started by saying, uh, he said, he said, everything's true, it's, these are lovely words, it's way too long. And he said, you know, let me give you some examples. And he talked about his, his homily, Ronald Reagan's homily, I'm, I'm George Bush's homily for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. he was like, you, and he said, you can't be longer. And he said, the, the president will speak at the service. You can't be longer than the president. I was like, okay, all right. And then, uh, and I asked, and so I said, I kind of got That's up off the floor and I, I kept that letter. It was two pages. And, um, and then that next Sunday he came in the back of the church and he kind of patted me on the shoulder. He said, I hope I wasn't too. And I said, no, sir, that, that's what I needed to hear. So, um, but I will say I knew the job was to honor them and to, and to lift up their faith. Yeah. And so you had a lot of speakers at those services bump, 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 bump across the board. 
Uh, but when we got to D.C., I realized, and I had read everybody else's remarks because I'd be last up to bat and I didn't want to repeat. repeat. Yeah. And, uh, but I realized I was the only one who, sp- who, who did speak about their faith. And mm-hmm. that, I felt like that was my job. Yeah, that's great. I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. And I think that's a, a good part of, of why the book is going to be helpful for a lot of people. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to diving into it i already pre- pre-ordered it. oh did you, you know, okay. which you can do <laughs> yes which you can do i but pre-ordered it i will say there's this there's a fantastic uh documentary on the life of 41 called uh bush 41 statecraft mm. or, or statecraft the bush 41 team by a, a historian in virginia Lori Seneski, i believe i'm pronouncing her name right it's 45 minutes it's fantastic it takes you from beginning to end and um, so you can get in on PBS and whatever. But I, unbeknownst to me, somebody said, have you seen that um, documentary? I said, no. I, they said, well, you need to watch it. It's really good. So I watch it. Well, the last 10 minutes is about the funeral. And, um, and, it, and it, it ends with my homily, like two or three lines from a homily. And, um, and what was interesting is they'd been talking about his career and his life and his family, and they get down, the, and then they start talking to people about the funeral. Hmm. Cohen Powell, Dan Quayle, <clears throat> Condi Rice, and all of them say, I mean, I think Condi Rice starts by saying, oh, and the funeral. And, and uh, she said, I went over to Angela Merkel hmm. and said, will you honor us by, by being here? She said, oh, of course I would be here. You know, I wouldn't be anywhere else. And then Condi Rice says something like, yeah, I really felt like this was America at its best. Mm-hmm. And I often said, and the, having been in those three funerals and having been in the presence of all these leaders mm-hmm. who at times were at odds with each other, I said, you know, for those hours, everybody got along. Yeah. Everybody knew there was something yeah. more important. Yeah. And there was this, again, I, 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 I think I've shared with you, I've yeah. not watched the whole funeral. But I just still four years later I've watched parts of it but I haven't sat down and watched it from beginning to end um, I will someday I guess but but somebody said did you see this interview with um, Tom Brokaw after after the funeral I said no no I didn't I said well you need to <laughs> again you need to tra- track this down so I, I did I tracked it down it's kind of hard to find but uh, the service in DC is over and they're out front Brokaw and some other press people and they're talking about the funeral but they go immediately to his political career. You know, here's his, and, and Brokaw stops and he says, wait a minute. Oh, did you not just witness what we saw? <laughs> but this was a service, this was a, an Episcopal service about his faith. Man's faith. Yeah. And, the, and, and, and Brokaw kind of tears up and he wow. goes, you know, this, this is what this moment's about wow. and I thought well, yeah that's exactly right mm-hmm. and, I, and again I think part of those little moments inspired this story because there, there are lots of books written about his incredible extraordinary career and all that he did in those four years you know mm-hmm. but not a lot written about his mm-hmm. faith which I knew to be real or hers which know? which in two is what <laughs> what you point out and I think is important for people to know that yeah I mean you you write all these books on all his political career mm-hmm. I mean he was and he's been around for a long time in yeah. politics. Yeah. But the, sometimes the faith gets lost. And I think that's what, um, what we need to focus on again. Mm. It's like, what's the character 
what mm. makes you what you are, what drives you, yeah. what are the core values, right? Mm. And it seems like today, mm. it's like, I'm not really sure what's driving us. Some, I read a book recently where they said, you know, no longer is, you know, is it good and evil or right and wrong, but now the highest mm. virtues are winning and losing. Mm. That's and those great. have become the high core values of our lives. Mm. But I don't know that that was for him. I mean, when he lost, it was, he, he got a bad deal. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was the biggest third party run, I think, almost. Well, you have to go way back in history. Mm-hmm. Ross Perot, and he mm-hmm. took a big he took, chunk. He took that chunk. A big actually, chunk. If he, if he had not run Yeah, because uh, Bill Clinton did not get 50% right uh, mm-hmm. over 50% of the vote. So I would imagine that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Talking about walking through Valley of the Shadow. Mm-hmm. And he said when I got back to Houston, the thing that got me, and he said that was the toughest, you know, mm-hmm. other than losing his daughter, which was, yeah. Uh, but he said, you know, uh, Losing that win, he said, you know, but it was my family, my friends, and my faith that, yeah. that got me through. Hmm. So. It's amazing just being in this space here and knowing that him taking the Eucharist every mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. And when he goes to think about policy, what shaped him was, was a baptismal mm-hmm. of his uh, granddaughter. And mm-hmm. to realize that that faith formation mm-hmm. uh, is not just about going to church, that he was, he was formed in the cruciformed way of Christ mm-hmm. because of these uh, symbols and rituals mm-hmm. that were part of his... Um, his his life. Yeah, and I think mm, I, I think good. it's important to say he didn't. I don't. I never observed him using his faith, right, to further his vocation right. or his career. <laughs> yeah. It 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 informed it. Yes. It shaped it. But you know, he never. In fact, he was, there were times when people kind of came in. And said, you need to be a little bit more yeah. cozy with yeah. this group or that group. And he would say, "My faith is my faith," yeah. and um, people see it in different ways. You know, and uh, he was the one who he and Neil both pushed us, invited us, invited <laughs> us. Uh, they had the 20th anniversary of the Points of Light Foundation, mm. and it was going to be here in Houston. They'd never had an event. And uh, so Neil came and said, I think it'd be great if we did a, um, an interfaith service to start that off. Mm-hmm. And um, were you I was here. Yeah. yeah was and so I thought you were. And, um, and it was great because the, all, the, it, all the religions oh, gosh, yeah, of, we had, yeah, with represented. Yeah. And, there and, was, and then we're, there were yeah. groups that were conservative that thought, you know, we should, you know, when another group found out that we, by the time we got through, it was everybody was was right back here. I know. Yeah, you know, I remember. Muslims, Jews, Christians, Buddhists. I mean, we had yeah. it all. But we did tell nobody could preach. We did, that was the only thing. I thought nobody, y'all had great costumes, jokes. but the Buddhist, <laughs> oh, that was the good. Buddhist yes, uh, priest, <laughs> really good. Good. and they sang. They did they sing. sing. They did. Oh, wow. yeah, and then John Meacham preached. But oh. uh, but again, that was that the, they had never done. They had never opened. <clears throat> I think people were kind of why are we doing this and yeah. then but it was a great great get together it but meant a lot to them it did that their to, church that their church yes. was yeah. doing that yeah. i remember that yeah. um hmm. had lunch with them at the forest club one time that's when right. we were pre- right. preparing for that yeah. Uh, yeah. and we're about 20 or it was a small group yeah. but uh, yeah i do remember that he yeah. came in a little late but right. she was kind of holding court with everybody right. in there right fascinating people and i just uh god i just long for mm-hmm. i don't I, what, what do we do to get back to civility and now that you've written this book <laughs> to witness what's to dignity what's what, what what do you glean from this that could be things that would uh, help mm. us or or maybe lessons we need to learn or or maybe reclaim mm. yeah i mean yeah we've talked about this you and i are troubled as are many people even if you don't want to name it people are troubled mm. about the way we're speaking with each other 
even let's, I'm going to step away from our faith for a moment and just say, uh, Secretary Baker, who's, who's just as active as the Bushes were, very mm-hmm. in church every week and very supportive and very active, told me the story of uh, after President Reagan was shot um, and he went up to his hospital room during the little stay. And the only person, I mean, there were lots of people kind of in and out, that kind of thing, but at one point he came in, the only person sitting with him was Tip O'Neill, the Democratic <laughs> Speaker of the House, holding President Reagan's hand and weeping, saying, Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President. Uh, I mean, you know, that says a lot. I mean, where are the, those days, of, you know, and, and um, you know, I, you and I are in a different business than that business. Yeah. But if you're going to be a Christian who enters that realm, then you need to be informed and sustained by your prayer life and by what the scriptures say. And you can't read First Corinthians 13 and be uh, not moved to treat others with civility. Yeah. You yeah. can't read the epistles of John. You can't read. I, I, I'm real right now, and you and I've had this discussion about our church worlds that seem yeah. to be upended right now. Mm. Um, that you can't read Jesus's prayer in Gethsemane right at the end of John, that's right. where he says, "I, you know, I pray that we're all one." Yeah. And that's how I, I'm always struck by. I mean, this is his last prayer, other yeah. than what happens on the cross. And he, and in that prayer in Gethsemane, when he says, "You know, I, I pray that everybody who follows me would be one, as you and I are one, so that the world may know. May know. Uh, you know, <laughs> they are my disciples. How does the world know you're my disciples? We work toward unity. I mean, that that was he didn't say I, what position they took on abortion, what church they go to, what." Uh, you know what you know what they wear how they he said this is this is how people will know yeah if you if they're one yeah. like you and i are one and i i think you know I, I say right at the end of the book i do say i think a lot of us perhaps in the same way some people felt about queen elizabeth's death yeah nostalgic 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 and nostalgia is great you know you kind of think oh yeah i remember those days but nostalgia can also be an inspiration to make us go Oh wait a minute! Does nostalgia mean not mean that we could do that again? So you know, my my prayer really right now is that God would raise up people who inspire uh, character and dignity and decency. Mm-hmm. And I, we're, I'm not, I don't, you know, that's a tall order. But yeah. but we're people of prayer, and I think that's what and people we of hope and yeah, redemption. Yeah, yeah. We, I think I, we had Max Lucado in. A, uh, several weeks ago, and he, he told a great little story before he left, and he, he talked about how everybody right now is talking about the need to change the world and make it a better place and make it, and um, and that we need a revival. And, and he kind of walked us through this history lesson of revivals, and which he said, you know, most revivals were not human-inspired. It was just mm-hmm. this moment that God decided, the Great Awakening, God decided, pop, we're going to have a, we're going to have a revival now. And, yeah. but it was God doing it. And he said, you know, you can't, you can't like make it happen on your own. You can't make it happen without God. He talked about the, the old uh, guy in his house one night fretting over the way the world in which he was living was going. And he, he said, well, God, we need a revival. And they got up off his knees, went outside, drew a circle in his yard. And he said, I, Lord, I pray for a revival. And may it begin with everyone standing in this circle. Hmm. And so, I mean start here yeah what, what am i doing to promote unity decency dignity what am i doing to live out my faith sure. in a real way 
And, yeah. uh, but I'm not sure as you, <laughs> I'd love to see more leaders who start that way. And I think 41 and Barbara did that faithfully. Yeah. To see people who value that mm-hmm. on both in both parties and people that are a, a culture that's willing to embrace it and yeah. vote for it again. Yeah. You know, at some point yeah. it seems like to me the pendulum swings in, in history, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and we're going through a, a really difficult, difficult, uncivil, mm-hmm. um, season. Yeah. But I'm, I'm hopeful that yeah. it'll swing back. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I'm, we're, I believe in prayer. I mean, I, you know, I'm, uh, and I, I, I don't stop praying for, for that to happen. I just think this is a great, uh, I hope that folks will check this out. Witness to dignity, the life and faith of George HW and Barbara Bush by the Russell J. Levinson Jr. Thank uh, you. Are, do Thank you get to be the in the Episcopal Church? Y'all get like these fancy titles, like the very right. Uh, only if you're elected uh, bishop are oh. you the right reverend. The very are deans of cathedrals, oh. and uh, yeah. But I, I'm very happy here. <laughs> <laughs> so my title will remain. <laughs> whenever, whenever somebody says, "Don't you want to run for a bishop?" I think of that movie, uh, Talladega Nights, where he says, "Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> yeah, right. Don't you put that Don't evil you on put me?" That so. evil on me. <laughs> well, this has been a great conversation. Thank Thanks so much for taking it. time Thanks with us. Thanks for having me. And I'm John Stevens. I'm Matt Russell. And I'm Russ Levinson. Of course you are. And this is Pod Have Mercy. (laughs) 